Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Danny Rivero. Last year, the Florida legislature gave the green light to the University of Florida to begin experimenting with industrial hemp. This was before lawmakers okayed a permanent industrial hemp program during the just-completed legislative session. But it may be a while before growers plant hemp seeds. It took a year between getting the approval for the pilot program and researchers planting industrial hemp in South Florida soil. That was in Homestead earlier this month. I met Zach Brim at the University of Florida's Tropical Research and Education Center, called TREK. It's a sprawling site stretching across 160 acres. Brim is the director of the industrial hemp program. It was planting day for hemp. So this is a big milestone for the UF hemp program. Uh, there was a whole bunch of, of layers of authorization and preparation for the planting that we have going out today. Uh, if I'm to guess go backwards uh, in time, uh, we had to prepare the land in order to uh, get it ready for the seeds to go in. Uh, that means getting our fence put up. Uh, that means getting our permits to possess and, and cultivate hemp here at Trek. And then of course all the interesting uh, university and state and federal hurdles that we had to go through in, in order to just get the project started. Getting to planting day for industrial hemp in Florida hasn't been as easy as putting seeds in the ground. It's meant navigating through a series of regulations and regulators. In each location where seeds and plants will be handled needed to be okayed. So we have a special permit from FDACS, the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer uh, Services, and the Department of Plant Industries, um, DPI, ultimately has granted us a industrial hemp pilot project planting permit. Those are essentially the individual permits for each of the sites that we have either operational or prepared to engage with the pilot project at the University of Florida. So the Tropical Research and Education Center is one of those permits. We have ultimately our outdoor planting site, which uh, we're just about to arrive at, uh, included in that permit, a greenhouse and uh, my lab uh, facility as well. Um, so because industrial hemp is indistinguishable from marijuana, there ultimately has to be this permitting process in order to identify um, the authorization to, to do this work. Let's pause on that for a second. Brim says hemp is indistinguishable from marijuana, the kind that gets you high. Both plants are from the cannabis family, and the only thing that separates the two is how much of a chemical they have at the molecular level. Plants that have more than 0.3% THC content are considered marijuana. Anything under that is considered hemp. And the only way to determine which side of the line a particular plant falls into is by chemical testing. That's why it's so hard on regulations. We're getting close to the field now. You looking for some hemp fields? That's right. Oh, we got some over there. I'll follow you. This other voice is Will Waddlington. He's a postdoctoral associate at the University of Florida. We follow him a few hundred yards down a dirt road. So this is quite a modest planting. And it is eight varieties that we've chosen to put into a planting date trial. And so this is the earliest date in our planting. This is the first legal 
outdoor industrial hemp planting in uh, the state of Florida in 70 years. So this is pretty exciting time for the University of Florida. Since this recording earlier this month, two more fields of hemp have been planted outside as part of the pilot project. But this field in Homestead was the first outdoor location to legally grow hemp in Florida in almost three generations. Let's go see it. It's extremely windy outside. A storm is approaching from the east. Waddlington just put hemp seeds into a rocky plot of ground. When I greet him, he kneels down and pulls out a few from the dirt. What is that? So these are two hemp seeds right here that I pulled out of the row. Um, they're little, they're about the size of somewhere between a pea and a lentil. And we have these planted at all different densities uh, in our plots. How, how big is this plantation you guys did this morning? Uh, so let's see, today we put down eight varieties, uh, replicated four times. So it's, uh, it's only a few hundred foot by a few hundred foot, but with the, with the replication we should be able to see which variety, we should get a good uh, representation of which varieties uh, do well and how well they do. And is the idea to plant some now and then plant some at a different time and then see how the different times of year that these are planted has an effect on mm -hmm. Um, on the harvest or, or the properties of the plant? So as a lot of people who grow cannabis might know, uh, the, the day length matters very much to when the plants flower. So for any type of uh, hemp or marijuana, uh, frankly, grown for their cannabinoids, be it uh, THC or CBD, grown for grain or grown for the fiber, it needs to flower at the right time in its life to have a good size female flower or to have a lot of grain or to have a long stem. So those are very important. Uh, that They flower when the daylight hours are the uh, a specific length of time, some critical length. Every variety has a different length of time. And every latitude in the world has different day lengths at some date. So what we're doing with the timing study is planting hemp from different uh, latitudes, like the South China, we have some from there and from Canada and from Europe also, at different points in our season to see uh, what date is best for flowering. Of the three varieties of hemp that we're thinking about, we aren't really sure which one will grow best here yet, right now. That's one thing that we'll be seeing in the next season, because we have our different locations, our different origins of varieties, but also because we have each variety, uh, each type of hemp, I should say, uh, uh, we should get a, a sense of what grows well here. I turn to Zach Brim, the head of the pilot project again. And is the the hope that the research you do here will help, say, a private grower that once this once there's an actual state program for this through the Department of Agriculture, that the research here would give someone the knowledge to say, okay, this seed I planted this time and I treat it in this way. Is is that the ultimate goal here? Yes, you speak to the foundational mission of the University of Florida. We're here ultimately to support the farmers, to support the industry. I want to take an opportunity to acknowledge a complementary part of our research program, the environmental impacts. Now this is a big part of our program. It's again complementary to the agriculture that we're doing but ultimately if we're going to be bringing in all these seeds if we're going to be bringing in this new plant uh, to the state of florida we also have to be conscious and aware of the risk 
of that plant escaping our farms and getting into our natural areas. So as a university, we have to be able to put all of those pieces together, the agriculture, uh, the environmental uh, impacts, and the sort of social infrastructure in order to ultimately uh, support the successful adoption of this industry in Florida. It starts to rain, and we hop back in the car to drive to Brim's office. One of the challenges for growing hemp is that some of the plants might run hot, to use the lingo. That means they might cross the legal threshold for hemp and turn into marijuana, which is not legal under the permit. In practical terms, you guys just put a, a small field of, of seeds in there. As those start to grow, is that something you're going to have to be testing while the plants are in the ground to make sure you're below that legal threshold that this is hemp and not legally marijuana? Yes, we are required by our FDEX permit in order to test these materials. Uh, we're required to test them at harvest. Now, there's a whole bunch of other interesting scientific questions. What is the content of THC over the lifetime of the plant? And does that give us uh, important insight into how we should be cultivating the, the hemp? Once we determine that a plant is hot, we're required to destroy it. Uh, we're going to be destroying the plant materials, so uh, we're not at risk to, uh, to, to be sort of outside of our permit, uh, if you will. For our last stop, we head out to a greenhouse, a tiny room with less than a dozen hemp plants in it. The team planted them a few weeks earlier just to see how they do this time of year, in early May. There's three kinds of hemp varieties one from southern Italy, one from Canada, and one from Poland. The ones from Italy are doing okay, but the rest look scraggly and weak. Brim and Waddlington are playing with the varieties to see what will grow well at what time of year at South Florida's latitude. It does dawn on me that we're looking at the potential that within a couple months, the state could start issuing licenses for people to start growing industrial hemp. Are those early farmers, if someone decides to take a license and put seeds in the ground, is there a risk for people who put things in the ground without having that kind of fundamental data to know when to do what? There's always a risk in farming and you try to go forward with the best information, whether it's your experience, whether it's information from uh, your neighbor, whether it's information from the university, whether it's information from folks in, in other states. We've got some information that might guide the the path, uh, but ultimately figuring out what the details, right? The details are ultimately what defines success uh, or failure in farming. And, and so the burden of, of risk ultimately comes to a farmer who, who moves forward with the lack of understanding where they are in terms of knowledge with this crop. Here's Waddlington again. We do know that sneaky people have been growing marijuana in Florida for a while and people in like the Sinaloa cartel in Mexico is at the same latitude. We are certain that cannabis, the plant, can grow here, um, but we don't have certified hemp per se. Well, this is what we're working on. What varieties of certified hemp planted when will give a farmer a good crop? A good crop of grain, a crop of fiber, or maybe a cannabinoid. We don't know what season it'll be yet, but that's what we're working on this first year. 
So basically, it could take a while for the research to catch up with the enthusiasm behind industrial hemp in Florida. In the meantime, people who have been growing marijuana illegally may have a leg up on the competition. Still to come, the wide open and illegal market of a hemp product, CBD, and its questionable health claims. CB to the D. I don't know, man. When I tried, I thought someone had to put voodoo or something on me because I couldn't believe how well it worked. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. Today, it's the business of cannabis. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Danny Rivero. Gummy bears, oils, cocktails, even ice cream. The number and types of products with CBD in them has just exploded in Florida in recent months. The chemical CBD comes from the cannabis plant, and it is not legal in Florida to sell CBD products. You see the signs everywhere, in stores, on social media, and on billboards. CBD products sold here with claims of healing or treating properties. The surge in the CBD business is related to the federal government dropping hemp from a list of illegal drugs so long as it has minuscule amounts of THC, the ingredient that produces the high. States can set their own hemp rules, but the CBD market didn't wait. The Saturday morning farmer's market. There's fresh fruits and veggies, crafts by local artists, fresh baked empanadas, and two stands selling a product called CBD. It's a chemical found in marijuana, but also in industrial hemp. Hemp and marijuana are related, but they're not the same plant. And to be clear, despite the suggestive branding, CBD does not get you high. Not at all. CB to the D. Drew Darden runs a skin and hair products company called Tree Hugging Soap. He says he uses it to treat back pain caused by sciatica. He sells CBD-infused lotions for all kinds of conditions. Uh, women's cramps. Again, sciatica, arthritis, I mean, talk about major pain, people that suffer with it every day. So, I don't know, man, when I tried, I thought someone had to put voodoo or something on me because I couldn't believe how well it worked. As you can hear, Darden swears by this stuff. He says he trusts it more than synthetic medication. This is natural, you know, and it works. But to be clear, none of these claims about CBD are approved by the Federal Drug Administration or the state of Florida. These open questions are leading to changes in the way businesses can operate, sometimes overnight, especially as CBD has become a lot more mainstream. For more than a year, there was a tent selling CBD at another farmer's market at the University of Miami Jackson Memorial Hospital campus. Now, there's no tent to be found. We're just trying to get support of our customers. Andrew Becerra is a sales rep for a local CBD manufacturer called Physicians Preferred. He says a few weeks earlier, they got a call saying the university wouldn't allow them to sell CBD products here anymore. So now he's collecting petitions to be allowed back. We've got nurse, nurses, I've got lots of staff, techs, students, social workers, nursing managers, um, just quite a, quite a different variety, IT. There's a lot of people here that, you know, just come to the market and, you know, to see what it's about. I talked to a few of these people who signed the petitions. They all said CBD is still too controversial for medical professionals to publicly talk about using it. One emergency room physician said CBD helped her get over a bad shoulder pain. Claims about health benefits can open up a can of worms for things like CBD. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration doesn't regulate the chemical, yet, but it is increasingly keeping an eye on the market. In March, FDA Director Scott Gottlieb talked about that to the U.S. Senate. 
I will take enforcement action against CBD products that are on the market um, if, if manufacturers are making what I consider over-the-line claims. So if you're marketing CBD and you're claiming it can cure cancer or prevent Alzheimer's disease, we're going to take action against that because that could mislead a patient into foregoing otherwise effective therapy. The following week, a shop in Hollywood called Dr. Stern's CBD said they were selling CBD products like crazy. Paul Fisher is the store's manager. For the edibles, what we have, we have uh, gummy bears, either a sour or a regular flavored gummy bear. And we also offer a sugar-free lollipop. We have a very good superior product. The day before this visit, the FDA sent a warning letter to a different company a few miles away about how it was marketing CBD products. The company's website claimed CBD can help fight cancer, arthritis, Alzheimer's disease, and PTSD. When I asked Fisher about whether he's worried about similar claims on his company's website, the store's owner intervenes. Sir, go home. Thank you very much. Go home. Okay. What, you stupid or what? Oh, I'm stupid. You go he home. kicks me out of the store. The following day, sections about CBD helping treat cancer and Alzheimer's disease are removed from the website. Florida just elected an unabashedly pro-marijuana commissioner of agriculture, Nikki Freed. Freed says right now, though, the sale of all CBD products is illegal in Florida, no matter if you can find it everywhere. That's because most of the CBD on the market comes from hemp, not marijuana. The state legislature just passed a bill allowing for a statewide hemp program, which could finally move CBD into the legal realm once and for all. Still to come on the program, the state agriculture chief has high hopes for Florida homegrown hemp. There's 25 to 35,000 usages of hemp to create end products that can be used across the world uh, is just going to create an industrial revolution. I see this almost as equivalent as the printing press. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Danny Rivero. Nikki Freed is a first-time politician who is the only statewide elected Democrat in Florida. She ran for state agriculture commissioner on a campaign platform of what she called the three W's, weapons, water, and weed. And it's that third W where Freed has made the most noise in her first five months in office. Even though the Department of Health is a lead agency regulating medical marijuana and the health department does not report to Freed, she appointed the state's first director of cannabis a month after taking office. Freed championed allowing smokable medical marijuana, spoke out against the fast-growing but illegal CBD market, and pushed for Florida to move fast into experimenting with industrial hemp. When I spoke with Freed recently, I began by asking about efforts to bring industrial hemp into Florida. I'm just really excited for industrial hemp to come to the state of Florida. It's really going to be such an industrial revolution, something that's going to bring uh, jobs here to our state, economy, um, looking at this to be a 20 to $30 billion industry in the next five to 10 years. Uh, that's money that gets to go to our state for education, for affordable housing, for infrastructure. Uh, and it really is going to be something that is going to change the, the face of our state. 
I see uh, industrial hemp as not only the cure um, for our environmental issues, it uh, uses less water, less fertilizer, it's biodegradable, actually puts nutrients back into the soil, uh, is something that's going to be just amazing for our environment, uh, getting rid of plastics and styrofoam and other opportunity for an alternative crop for so many of our farmers that have been suffering from the citrus greening and Hurricane Michael and Irma, as well as the unfair trade practices um, from NAFTA. And so this is an opportunity for our farming community, uh, for the entrepreneurs across our state uh, to get, there's 25 to 35,000 usages of hemp uh, and to be able to utilize that and become an export from across the, the not only just the country, but the world. Uh, we have the most amount of ports here in our state and to create end products that can be used across the world uh, is just gonna create an industrial revolution. I see this almost as equivalent as the printing press, uh, what we can be doing here. In fact, uh, the EPA just authorized research on using hempcrete. Uh, so to be able to use that as a replacement of concrete, uh, which releases um, different types of carbons into the air when they're actually creating uh, the concrete. Uh, so using hemp, that's going to be better for the environment as well. And what are the main structural roadblocks that you see in trying to make this vision into a reality? A lot of it is, you know, people talk about hemp and the immediate um, is on the CBD side of things and making entrepreneurs and people think bigger than just CBD, that the industrial hemp side is where the play is uh, and making sure that we have new businesses coming to our states um, that are going to have the manufacturing and processing companies. Who's going to be creating the, uh, the relationship with McDonald's and Burger King to replace their styrofoam? Who's going to be reaching out to Dasani to, to do their water bottles? Uh, these are types of things that we are, I can only create the program, I'm building it and so hopefully they will come. I've talked to the owners of several cannabis-based businesses here in South Florida over the last couple of weeks, and they feel that industrial hemp could bring more young people back into the agricultural sector. Um, do you share that vision that this could kind of bring the average age of the agricultural sector down a little bit? Uh, yes, absolutely. You know, some of the things that we're seeing across the, the state is that the, this generation of agriculture, the farmers, are third, fourth, fifth generations, and they're struggling. Uh, they're struggling because of all the issues that are happening not only in the state but across the, the country and in D.C. And so this next generation don't want to work as hard as their parents who are just making ends meet and are, are looking at all of the, the very large uh, developers who are coming in to want to buy their property and the beauty of our state is our agricultural land. Um, some of the most beautiful parts of our state are being preserved and conserved by, by our agriculture community and to see them being sold off to development uh, will break our hearts and, and you can't go back from that. So giving this next generation excitement, uh, giving them the tools to be successful and hemp is exciting. It's new, it's fresh, um, they are very concerned about the environment and knowing that they can do something that's going to contribute to the environment and protect it. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of uh, the next generation coming back and wanting to be a part of agriculture. Several CBD product manufacturers locally here in South Florida have told me that they're sourcing industrial hemp from places like Kentucky, Oregon, Colorado. I can imagine that might upset you that this is not in fresh in Florida products. Do you think that at some point Florida could kind of 
become one of the major, major players in this for the whole nation? That is my goal. Uh, my goal is that we have some of the most amazing farmers and agriculture here in our state, have the most amount of land, um, entrepreneurs excited to do this. Um, as soon as we create the program, our, our farmers are ready to go. Uh, I can't tell you the amount of phone calls that my office receives on a normal daily basis uh, that want to start growing hemp. Uh, so once we get the program in place, and the other thing that we're going to be able to do as far as uh, hemp is concerned for CBD stuff is that it allows uh, me to regulate which types of hemp from other states come into the place. So once we create the regulations, that as long as the state has similar standards as us, then we can create a relationship where the hemp can be brought in here for production purposes. If they're in a state that is a wild, wild west and there's no regulations, um, they will not be allowed to be actually bringing in their hemp bioproducts here into the state. There's been a little bit of ambiguity about whether selling CBD products is legal or illegal in the state. Can you help clarify that a little bit for us in your own view? Sure. You know, so there, there's two moving parts. Um, the Farm Bill authorized USDA to create rules and each state department to create rules for industrial. Um, the FDA has retained control over the CBD productions and for human and animal consumption. And this FDA has, has made it very clear and made statements that it is still illegal. And then unless your state has created a CBD program, um, you still are operating outside the law and have said that they're going to look at this and try to create rules and regulations, but it may take three years. Uh, so in our own statutes here, it says under our criminal statutes, it defines what cannabis is, and it says any derivative of the cannabis plant. So technically, the hemp plant is still considered a definition of cannabis, uh, which is why we are moving so hard um, and so fast to try to get the hemp legislation passed that creates a framework for both the industrial side as well as the human animal consumption side. I mean, we all have seen, you know, um, how people are using CBD and, and it's such a, a fantastic option for so many patients and consumers out there. But there's also problems. There's a lot, because there's no regulations in place, a consumer doesn't know what they're buying. They don't know if it has CBD in it. They don't know if it has THC. The last thing we want is somebody to be buying a product Product, think that they're just taking pure CBD, uh, be in a drug-free workplace, get tested and test positive for THC because they, there was THC in the products that they were buying. And in the same respect, having no CBD, that a patient's spending money thinking that they're going to get some relief and there's no CBD in it. Or we're hearing such stories from out in Colorado that people are called with spicing and putting all types of hallucinogenics inside of these products. So we need to make sure that we're creating a safe environment for our consumers while allowing our entrepreneurs who are excited about having this on the marketplace, the road to, to the right path. The National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana uh, Laws has warned that your office will be sending cease and desist letters to CBD retailers in the state. Have you sent any of those letters, or can you tell us if something like that is in the works right now? Uh, that is a, a uh, fake news. <laughs> um, in fact, you know, like I have been saying from day one, once we create the program, there's going to be rules and regulations. And if you are not following those rules and regulations, then yes, uh, law enforcement plus my office are would be entitled to come in and say you must remove all these products that are not regulated, that are not part of the program off of the shelves. Uh, there has been nothing bought from my office to test. There has been no assistance uh, letters sent. There's been none that even been drafted. Uh, again, I go back to why I want to press the, the bill so fast and on the hemp side, because I want to make sure we get the program in place and get the bad actors out of our state. That was Florida Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed. Still to come, the fast-growing and largely unregulated business of supplying CBD. You always got to be thinking of what 
what should happen, what other industries have that this industry is going to need in an unregulated market. You know that sooner or later regulations are going to come in. on the Sunshine Economy. Today, it's the business of cannabis. I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. And I'm Danny Rivero. Just off I-95 in Deerfield Beach sits the brand new headquarters of Green Roads. It's a company that specializes in making and selling products with CBD. The company has built its base from South Florida, making the brand into one of the largest CBD businesses in the nation. For three years, the company's main plant was in Davie, but it needed something bigger. Hence, the move to Deerfield Beach. The business is growing so quickly that Green Roads projects even this new headquarters might be too small within a year's time. The company hasn't fully moved into its new Deerfield Beach location. It hasn't started making CBD products there yet, but I went there to talk with founders Arby Barroso and Laura Baldwin Fuentes. I met Barroso in the new conference room area. You know, this is going to be our pride where people could come in, um, we could have meetings, we could have launch parties. There's a bunch of things that, especially in the industry, how it's growing. There's a lot of things that we don't see today, but this is gonna kind of be like our home, you know, where we, everybody comes in. We have about 120 employees. So it's, it, we're definitely making this our home, our HQ. And at the, at the moment, is there still people in, in Davie and there's people here too, and you're gonna kind of consolidate Absolutely. them? Absolutely, we have to have uh, three locations we have right now. We have our marketing team in Doral. Um, we have our shipping and packaging in Davie. And then here right now it's, our sales guys, our customer service, some of our design team, because we haven't been able to bring everybody in yet. Plus, we're waiting for fire inspection. So there's a lot of things that we're still waiting for to kind of bring everybody here. This is where our, uh, a lot of our customers get handled. Um, our representatives, our reps that handle about 7,000 head shops, smoke shops, you know, nationwide. About anywhere between 1,500 to 2,000 doctor's offices. And then we have about 150 distributors right now. We're also getting into the pharmacy side, somewhere around 400 to 500 pharmacies right now, and that's growing exponentially now since CVS is looking at this in a different fashion, uh, Walgreens talking about it, the Walmarts, the big boxes. Barroso says it's tricky about the big box stores though. The laws around growing industrial are quickly changing, but not fast enough to keep up with demand. Green Roads got its start selling to family-owned smoke shops in Miami and across South Florida before branching out. And the company doesn't want to start supplying big retailers if it means having to cut back on selling to smaller shops. We want to support the mom-and-pop stores. You know, that's what keeps everything rolling forward. So why eliminate them when all you got to do is be a little bit more patient and wait for that supply to increase? And then you could go to the big boxes. We walk from the office section to the industrial warehouse area where the company will be handling manufacturing and shipping. Green Roads is still dealing with permitting and fire inspections to be fully operational at its new headquarters. So this is all, this is all getting built out. This is kind of where our production is going to be. A lot of our shipping is going to be out of here. We have about 16 people right now that are doing shipping and we're going to increase that because we're doing more now online than we were doing before. The company's bringing in a team of inspectors to keep track of quality control. Men are inspecting the warehouse, looking for where they might do testing down the line. So are you, you trying to get ahead of any regulations that might be down the road by, by bringing these people in to, to do that here? Absolutely. Yeah, you always got to be thinking of what, what should happen, what other industries have that this industry is going to need. And again, in an unregulated market, 
you know that sooner or later regulations are going to come in. So what do those regulations look like? We have a good team that we sit down with and say, hey, what is this going to look like for us? Well, we should be doing this, 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 and this. All right, well, let's get those plans in order to make sure that everything's in the right direction, that we're doing the right things, and that we're spending the money in the right places to make sure that we're good, and that tomorrow comes around and rules come in, you know, which takes them a little while to imply, implement those. We'll be ready to go no matter what from day one. Green Roads is a CBD company. And of course, the underlying source of CBD is the hemp plant. But industrial hemp isn't being commercially grown in Florida yet. Are you bringing in product from Colorado or another state? Like, where, where are you actually sourcing it from at this point? We have three different uh, sourcing states. Um, Kentucky's our biggest source. Um, then you have Colorado and you have Oregon. Um, we're trying to finalize right now with another company in California. You mentioned you're, you're currently sourcing from primarily, primarily Kentucky, Oregon, and Colorado. But ultimately, you, you're trying to get 100% Florida manufacturing and Florida-grown hemp? That's absolutely what we're looking to do. Um, it's it's kind of hard to travel all the time. And when you have it right here in your state, you know, you want to be able to grow that plant in your state. It's, is, is part of the hope for getting 100% Florida product, being able to vertically integrate and, and growing some of it yourself or just having a closer proximity to the people that are growing it? Um, are you under an NDA? I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, yes, obviously we want it. We want to have it here. We want to have it in a close proximity. We want to have banking issues lifted in the state. Um, there's a lot of things that, that we're looking to do. I mean, it, it really just all depends. We have a, a, a lot of uh, angles that we're trying to approach. And in this industry, in this type of industry, you always have to be thinking about, you know, what's going to be able to be good for, for the business and for our, and for our, you know, for our state. And absolutely, yeah, we, we're not looking to be growers. Um, that's, not, that's not our roadmap. You know, we're good at what we do now. It's really hard to bring in that type of bandwidth to be able to now, oh, we're going to go buy 500 acres and we're going to go grow it ourselves. No, we have good joint venture partnerships that we're, that we're setting up right now for the future of Florida um, to make it fresh from Florida. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, why recreate the wheel? It sounds like you have a lot of optimism for the prospects of Florida to have um, really its own place in this industry. Has it always been like that since you started this company in, in 2013? I mean, things have changed rapidly over the last couple of years and they're even changing right now. But have you always known that this was going to happen, that it was going to get to a point where Florida could potentially become a major player in this market? I bet on it. That's why I'm here. Um, we bet on Florida being a player. Um, we, we kind of understood that we were patient enough and we had a three to five year plan. I mean, we're in a little bit over five years right now and look where we're at. So there's, there's a course. I mean, yeah, that's why you keep on striving to do what, the best that you can. I mean, Florida is one of the largest providers of CBD in the country and we don't have a plant. How does that happen? Laura Baldwin Fuentes co-founded Green Roads with Arby Barroso. She oversees the manufacturing process for the company along with other parts of the business. This is not her first job in the drug industry. I graduated from Nova Southeastern in 1993 in a pharmacy degree. Worked at Walgreens for 17 years and then I transferred over to a small independent pharmacy and I worked there as we started up Green Roads and throughout um, starting up Green Roads. And then um, finally we started making an income where I could leave that job full time and do this full time, which took like four years for me to be able to do that. So I was doing both for a very long time. How did you 
get into this industry in the first place? Like, what was the spark that made you, you think, oh, CBD, um, there's something there, I should get involved with it. What was it that, that got you into it? So it wasn't until I started doing some research on the product, saw that the US government had a patent on it, had some really viable uses attached to it. Um, then I started realizing that this could be something really viable and started making products just for fun, you know, just to see what I could do and giving out to friends and family and they were working. And I guess that's when I really saw, hey, maybe there is something here. Because really before that, I was very comfortable in the pharmacy, just going to work day to day and not being challenged. And I realized over time that that's not my comfort zone. I really thrive when I'm under pressure. So this has been a much more um, beneficial experience for me in the long run. So you, you were kind of fiddling with it while you were a pharmacist kind of on mm -hmm. the side? Yeah, for about two years, just, you know, I'm, I'm on nights and weekends, I would just be at my house and try to make things and put things together. And, you know, it took me a long time to figure things out. But I based everything in the pharmacy world. And then I would just go to like Whole Foods or a hobby shop or Publix and look for things that mimic pharmaceutical type products, and then make a home version of it just to see how it worked. And that's how I pretty much started. As a pharmacist, I imagine a lot of your work is, is highly regulated by the FDA and, and other federal state agencies. What's the regulatory kind of landscape at this point? Right now, the FDA isn't really regulating the industry. They're having uh, workshops and they're talking to people. They're trying to gain as much information as they can so that they can make the right decisions and decide how they want to pursue this avenue. Um, but right now, it's really not regulated at all. So we're just trying to follow whatever guidelines the FDA has in the dietary supplement realm because we feel like that's pretty much where this product is going to land. So we're trying to just mimic those guidelines and make it work in, in the CBD industry. The industry has been growing. The cannabis-derived products in general seems to be like very Colorado-centric. Yet you guys started here and you're still based out of here. You're moving into a new facility here. Why Florida? We are both Floridian nat natives from Hialeah. And uh, we are really happy to bring jobs to the state. We want to bring farming back to the state. So we're like really looking at just helping Florida become a more an economical powerhouse. We want to bring it back to the state. That's really the bottom line. Everybody from that's growing in California, I think probably 50% of them came from Florida. And they want to get back to Florida, and we want them back in Florida. So we want to just create jobs and keep the industry going in Florida. How much revenue are you guys generating on an annual level? I saw estimates that it's about $45 million annually. Is that about right? Yes, that's about right. That's what we did about last year, pretty close to that. The first year that we made any kind of revenue was about four, yeah, about four hundred thousand, and then we went to five something million, and then we did about sixteen million the following year, and then forty-two million this past year, and this year I think we're looking to do over eighty. So, this year you're looking to almost basically double. Mm -hmm. Yes, we are. Now you see why this facility is too small. That's Laura Baldwin-Fuentes and Arby Barroso, co-founders of CBD manufacturer Green Roads. They said that they are currently turning a profit, but they declined to estimate exactly how much it could be. Now, still to come, all that cash in the cannabis industry, but few banks want the business. In the state of Florida, every dispensary and every grower is currently paying a real estate taxes on the property that they're in. They're paying utilities for the buildings that they're in. Technically, all of those payments are, are coming from the cannabis industry. All we're trying to do is 
create a safe environment for these companies to operate under. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Today, it's the business of cannabis. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Danny Rivero. CBD products are expected to be a $1 billion market in three years. Florida's Agriculture Commissioner thinks the state's industrial hemp market could bring in more than $20 billion in a decade. Already, the sale of medical marijuana products is generating billions of dollars each year. And the legal sale of medical marijuana edibles could begin soon. So what to do with all that money? Well, most banks are not interested in touching any cash that touches cannabis, but not First Federal Bank. It started as a small savings and loan bank in 1962 in Live Oak, Florida, a town of less than 7,000 people today. The bank offered its first checking account in the 1980s. First Federal is headquartered in Lake City now, and five months ago, it began banking cannabis money. That was about the same time that John Medina took over as president of the bank. We realized that there was a need in our communities, that uh, a need that was not being served. Uh, we have dispensaries and growers that are, in many cases, located right in our own communities. And, and we recognized that it was a, a grossly uh, underserved market and, frankly, um, a very dangerous market for the, for the, 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 the growers and the, the licensees. Uh, having to manage large sums of cash, in many cases being uh, carried in trunks of cars and, and in, the, in backpacks, uh, just didn't provide a safe infrastructure for, uh, for managing uh, a business. John, what were some of those early deposits like? Were they trunks of cash coming up to a bank teller? No, surprisingly not, Tom. Surprisingly, the, the, our first initial clients have been uh, companies from out of state. It was primarily companies from California that needed a safe place to bank and uh, couldn't do so in their own state. Uh, within the state of Florida, they uh, we do have a number of what we call licensees or, or seed to sell uh, manufacturers. And uh, they also had a void in banking services. And so our ability to bank them, to provide stability and to provide a a bank that's very well capitalized and very stable uh, was very appealing to them. John, let me ask you about the business from California. Uh, uh, I'm curious as to the legality of accepting that money, given that it has got to cross state lines to get from California to your bank in Lake City, Florida. The clients that we do have from California, we're not banking seed to sell. We're typically banking what's called Tier 2 or Tier 3 or another vernacular it's called indirect and so these are not necessary this is not necessarily the cash that's coming from the sale it's primarily uh, investor funds equity that's being raised uh, in many cases it's um, uh, accountants uh, uh, attorneys and folks that are indirectly related to the cannabis industry but have the same issues with having a safe place to bank so it's one or two or three arm lengths away from the actual plant. Exactly. And so in the state of Florida, this is the only state where we are banking seed to sell. Uh, and as you might expect, any time that you have the actual product and you have cash involved, that's really what requires the heightened uh, regulatory standards. And so 
from outside the state, we can bank folks that are not in what we, what we would call Tier 1. And then uh, within the state, we're banking uh, Tier 1s, 2s, and 3s. How did you arrive to the to the conclusion that, that you could enter into this? An extensive due diligence and education, I would say. Not only did we have to educate ourselves, we had to educate our board. Uh, we brought in our regulatory uh, partners to make sure that they were aware of what we were considering. The process itself probably took us three to four months. The state of Florida just approved an industrial hemp program through the Department of Agriculture, and it's anticipated that when this program goes into effect, it could be potentially a multi-billion dollar business. I'm curious if you've been approached by any actors that might want to get into that space that are already perhaps considering where they might do their banking. We have. We have been contacted. We are preparing ourselves. And frankly, we're looking at into um, banking the hemp and CBD space in, in other states. We're continuing to look for opportunities to serve the needs of these clients in states where, you know, where it's legal. John, I was wondering, is there any ballpark figure you might be able to give us in terms of the volume that you're currently handling in the special banking cannabis-derived industry kind of field? It is not uncommon to have hundreds of millions of dollars that is uh, that is a part of, of, of any particular bank. And I'll just give you an example. Uh, you constantly have licensees and growers that are going through capital raises. It's not uncommon for any of these entities to have a capital raise that ranges anywhere from 50 to, to several hundred millions of dollars. And so, you know, those entities need a place to keep those funds. How about your Florida-oriented business? What kind of operational cash flow are you experiencing? The in-state um, tier one accounts, I would say, as a general rule, are not maintaining the, the larger balances. Those tend to be primarily operating accounts uh, banks benefit from those type of accounts through fee-based business. And so while there is some benefit for the dollar balances, um, it's, it's really the activity that's running through the accounts that kind of helps generate some, some fees to help the banks offset their, you know, their, their cost. But again, if you're looking strictly at large, large dollar uh, uh, accounts, you're probably going to find that most of those are related to investor raises, capital raises, and uh, and the funding that's that's fueling this the growth in this in this space. Are you loaning to these types of entities in the medical marijuana and the industrial hemp space? Yeah. Tom, because of because of the risk associated with this industry, we've we've not currently accepted that risk of lending directly to these organizations. I will tell you that we are lending to individuals, the employees that work for. Um, for many of these dispensaries and growers. And so so for like mortgages and car loans and those kinds of things? Exactly. And I will tell you that that's not the case around the country. And so we feel that we're we're trying to be very forward-looking and, and, again, trying to serve the needs of the communities by being able to bank these employees. What are the particular things that are being looked at at the federal or the state level that would help clarify this and kind of open up the, the market so you can do things like giving loans to companies that are involved in this space? You know, right now, uh, cannabis is technically a class one drug. And so while we feel relatively comfortable that, that the Department of Justice is not going to come knocking at, at our doors, um, you know, at the end of the day, we, we need guidance from Congress. Uh, the American Bankers Association has called upon them. Um, many state banking associations have called upon Congress to provide some guidance as to 
uh, what banks can or can't do as it relates to this industry. Think about this for a second. You know, in the state of Florida, every dispensary and every grower is currently paying a real estate taxes on the property that they're in. They're paying utilities for the buildings that they're in. Technically, all of those payments are, are coming from the cannabis industry. All we're trying to do is create a safe environment for these companies to operate under. That was John Medina, president of First Federal Bank, speaking with us from his office in Lake City, Florida. First Federal is one of, if not the only bank in Florida, to be public about offering financial services to the medical marijuana and hemp industry. Legislation that would allow Florida's Department of Agriculture to create an industrial hemp program is expected to be signed into law by Governor Ron DeSantis. Ag Commissioner Nikki Freed plans to hold public meetings around the state to get feedback on what people want from it. Don't forget you can follow us on Twitter, at WLRN is our handle, and look for a podcast of this program if you missed any of it, or any of our programs by searching Sunshine Economy on iTunes. Pilar Ribe is our technical director. Katie Lepre is our engagement producer. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Danny Rivero. And I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening.